Hello, everyone, and uh, welcome to The Undiscovered Decade, a podcast where we look into the missing films in our filmographies, the forgotten gems that uh, we've dug up to present to you from the 90s. Uh, we're up to the end of the year for uh, 1992, December, and as you can see from Corey's background photo, we decided to focus on one of our favorite actors we hadn't talked about yet through this whole podcast, Eddie Murphy. Uh, he did a film called The Distinguished Gentleman. Uh, he stars as Thomas Jefferson Johnson, a uh, ne'er-do-well uh, con artist who has a team of people that he usually uh, does like small-time things. Like in that picture, that's the first scene. He's tricking a senator or a representative to uh, pony up for a sex scandal just that he made up. That woman that Corey's blocking uh, was pretending to be a sex worker that he had been calling. So stuff like that. He's, he's now blackmailing the senator in that shot. Uh, when a famous senator dies uh, with a similar name, Johnson, and I think it's actually Tom Johnson, it's that similar to his name, uh, he comes up with this scheme to just it's Jeff run Johnson. For this, it's Jeff Johnson. So he goes with T. Jeff Johnson. That's right. Um, because they only look at the last name when they vote. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So he he realized. So, so he, he, he basically he won based on name recognition. Yeah. Right. People didn't realize, which is fantastic. They um, didn't. They cut out all the pictures of him. It was literally just the right. name on the po on the billboard and everything. Yeah, which has happened in the past. There yeah. has yeah, been cases talked about where like a dog won. Uh, where dead, dead people have won elections. They even mention in this, they ask the guy's wife, it's, it's played by James Garner in a weird little cameo where he basically does the thing that happens in Dave next summer, um, which is the plot of Dave. Um, he's having sex with one of his uh, secretaries or assistants or something and then has a heart attack and dies intern. in the office. She was an intern. Yeah, yeah which is fortuitous yeah. uh, in 92 and 3. Yeah, because when was the Clinton scandal? Like 97? 90, yeah, 96. I was in middle school. Yeah, he got, he got the idea from watching right. this movie. <laughs> it could have happened. <laughs> well, I, might, I, might have, I might have been in I fifth grade. It was gentlemen. fifth grade. Actually, so, that's like, funny. The, the campaign for 90s. this film, uh, the slogan was, elect our leaders in November. Come see the real ones in December. Yeah. Or come, come see what they... <laughs> yeah. Come see what they do in December. Yeah. Um. But yeah, he ends up winning and brings his team of con artists as his staff to Washington. And it's basically like a sort of remake of Mr. Smith Goes to Washington. He learns the wrongs that he's been doing have affected people, and he could actually do some right in D.C., um, especially because, you know, there aren't many African-Americans in office. So he notices the over rampant racism in, in D.C. and all the wheeling and dealing that just spins everything around in politics never gets it anyone anywhere so he he thinks to himself like maybe i can con america into figuring out that they want to do good so it becomes a little heartwarming it's funny along the way just a nice little film which pulls. i think people don't think about in his filmography no. this, it, it kind of it kind of comes out off to me as like a political heist movie yeah yeah the a good political guy, comedy the... heist movie or something like that. He comes across as a bad guy using his powers to pull the wool over worse guys. 
Yeah. Right. There's a great incisive scene with what uh, Tristan's talking about. It's still relevant today where um, Lane Smith is telling him about lobbyists. And he's like, well, which way are you on an issue? And he's like, well, you got money on this side and money on this side. And he's like, well, who's paying more? So that's the way he sways. Right. We know happens all the time with gerrymandering and stuff like that in the Senate. Yeah, it's all the lobbying. The <clears throat> lobbyists are who control the government because they have the most money. Because who's going to care if I want something out of my town? Like he goes down to Florida because there's been some um, pylons causing radiation on a local school. And what is he going to do? Because the electricity lobby had wanted to go through that town. And right. <clears throat> what the school kids aren't going to pay the senators to stop that. You know, what are we going to do? And so obviously it's, do you take the moral high road or do you keep your seat, which is the argument for all politics? The good thing so. with the movie is it never loses its edge, even though it goes into some area of pathos. And um, obviously with that, that's subplot that you're talking about. <clears throat> it's so prescient. A lot of scenes in the movie are prescient. Like that reminds me of like Flint, Michigan and all the contaminated water. Sure. Um, there's a, there's another scene where they go duck hunting where I couldn't help but think of Dick Cheney and everything that happened with the quail hunting yeah. incident. Yeah. There's so a many things that are just like at a time. Yeah, I just think because that stuff just is cyclical. You know, it's yeah. not the first time a senator shot someone. Right. Or a vice president or a president. Right. Uh, you know, I also think uh, Eddie Murphy is you know, we talk about his comedic chops. I don't think he ever loses it throughout his career, even when he's doing some of his bad stuff in the 2000s. I think that's some of the scripting. His timing yeah. is still good. And this is long before it starts getting a little bad. At least movie. This quality. is still, it's just, this it's is still before, R-rated. This is before right. he started donning the fat suits and playing every role. Right. Well, he was still, well, <laughs> he started seeing that in Coming to America three years yeah, that's earlier. True. Um, that's the first time I noticed, at least watching stuff, uh, even if it's out of order, you notice that he starts getting into that there. And then the fat suits come in 96 when he does Nutty Professor. And he wants to be the whole family in the sequel. Yeah. So I think he just gets a little off the rails. Uh, Corey and I have often said Zemeckis, Robert Zemeckis, got really fascinated with the CGI and the stop motion. That's why yeah. he made stuff like... Yeah, uh, the motion capture stuff. He yeah, did. like Beowulf. Beowulf and the, yeah. yeah. Um, and that's like all he wants to do. He just wants to play around with that technology. Well, yeah. Eddie got fascinated with Rick Baker's makeup. So yeah. he gets yeah, a little hung in, up on that. You see it in like Coming to America, like you said. You see it in um, <clears throat> the uh, Night Professor movies and Norbit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, for, uh, I mean, even Bowfinger, he's playing two characters. For Halloween, I watch Vampire in Brooklyn. Uh, oh, right. Yeah. That's he even does a weird, like a little bit of a white face. He plays an Italian guy. Out of the blue. Mm-hmm. And that's the only weird part of the movie. The movie is fine until he shows up as that guy. It's like you could just continue being a vampire, which you were more interesting as. Right. So they're trying to hedge their bets. Yeah. I understand <clears throat> why he thinks this is effective, but in hindsight, I don't think it really helped him. Maybe, so something like this, he, he focuses better. Right. And I, Eddie's always good at playing characters who are grifters. Are very, they're very, uh, they're silver tongued, they're fast paced, stuff like that. So, the scenes where he's like conning people, you're like, I could see why people would fall for his charm. Yeah, this is like Beverly Hills Cop, 
that. Yeah. He's he's the he's like, you know how like Bill Murray likes to play iconoclast. He's the one who goes up against the squares, and you're like, the whole time you're like, ah, oh, I wish I would, I wish I had a tenth of the charisma as Eddie. Right. I could just seduce all these people into going to my side, which is why he's perfect for a movie where he plays politics, where that's what that's all you're trying to do is win people over to your side. Right. Person. So. Yeah, I think it was a really good fit for him. Yeah. Uh, another thing I noticed was that this is one of the few films he didn't write the story himself. So maybe that has something to do with where he gets fascinated with multiple characters. He just went along for the ride with this one and it worked. Which is weird because uh, I, I guess this came around a time where his star was on the wane because he had just done like another 48 hours and he was kind of regurgitating his act from the 80s. So yeah. this was this was shortly before, like you said, like he'd do Night Professor and then be almost strictly PG rated movies. Like he stopped doing adult fare for a long, long time. I've heard he wanted to do stuff for his many kids. Uh, yeah. That happens with people. So I don't begrudge him that. But then it sort of hurt his overall presence in cinema. It's weird because I think about like there are actors who within the past decade, their reputations have changed. Because uh, I think about my son's 14. I think about he never grew up with Eddie, edgy Eddie. Like he never saw him do stand up, which I know we were. I mean, we were too young too. But what it would rerun on cable. That's why we're doing this. Yeah. Well, I've actually got to watch them. I got a thing. Uh, George Carlin, if you think of him. When we were kids, we grew up with Shiny Time Station, and he was uh, the uh, conductor. Right. Mr. Conductor. Exactly. But like, like when you get older and you find his old uh, comedy routines, you're like, oh, same I thing with something. Oh, Carlin like, Saget. Yeah. Like, yes. Yeah. It seems people tend so to like, know I feel like it get just, older. Yeah. And just for us, it was just. A sh- I mean, it was a shame to watch Eddie go through this period of like a kind of a drought in his career because he wasn't making creatively you know, fertile choices, but especially because we this were was one of the last gas before he got to that. We were in well, high school when it started to go downhill. I think that's what's yes. disappointing. Like we, it was perfect timing for us to get the movies that were coming out right in the early nineties. Yeah. So Gen Xers had the perfect time to watch mm-hmm. Eddie. I think. Mm-hmm. I think he'll make a comeback. I and think his, he has. Like, even, I mean, even, he, even, I think he's gonna. Even, but... even, even in his old <laughs> age, like if he gets like old, old, like he'll still be like, doing like he'll be good he'll be fine yeah he was on the verge of it with dream girls not too long ago and then uh dolomite is my name he was close to doing it between that and the snl that he hosted yeah i think he's he's made enough of a comeback that he's now like an elder statesman that if he were to do things that are like those yeah he could he could compete for oscars again if he wants an elder statesman you say yeah oh yeah it popped into my head for some reason uh we should talk yeah. about the director. The director's a really underrated uh, comedy director. Jonathan Lynn. Yeah. He did My Cousin Vinny. Which also and, came out this year. Which was a, yeah, it was crazy that he did two really good movies within the same year. Yeah, these are probably his two best, but. Yeah, on. but this one didn't do as well, obviously, but um, he did Clue. Oh, really? I about great, that already. Great comedy mystery. If anybody hasn't seen it. I know uh, movies based on video games don't have the best reputation, but this is based on a board game, so maybe that's why it's so good. I don't know. Yeah, um, he's really good with ensembles. 
because he also did Greedy, which is yep. a kind of underrated Michael J. Fox movie. Yeah, that's his next thing. Whole Nine Yards, which is really good. That's still good. I think that might be his last one. Fighting Temptations, I've heard is good. It's but... okay. But yeah, he's he's actually a really underrated comedy director. How do you feel about Sergeant Bilko, though? I actually like Sergeant Bilko. Oh, okay. I remember thinking it was a little dumb, but yeah. that's fine. It's it's okay. I I like when Steve Martin's a rascal. He's a rascal. Yeah. Maybe I'll rewatch it again. Maybe that'll come up in uh, three years. That's true. Yeah. But uh, you know who you know who who has a weird cameo in it? If anybody remembers Murphy Brown? Oh, uh, well, it's a huge part. I yeah, didn't know who well, this guy was. Um, Grant Shoud from Murphy <laughs> Brown shows up. And yeah, he's, he's, a, never, he's, he's the most overtly broad character. Mm-hmm. He yeah. never really did he anything was, else. Was he, he was the, the assistant, assistant, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah, the guy that shoehorned himself. He just sure ripped off at one point. Johnson's campaign. Um, yeah, he's a bit of a weasel. The one issue I actually have with this movie involves him. He seems to be a go-getter. He never seems to be annoyed at Johnson. And then he suddenly takes like a heel turn and works for Lane Smith. Right. I think he's just, you know, he's another opportunistic Washingtonian, you know. <laughs> I think we missed the point at which he turned, though. He just does. Yeah. No, I, I agree. I think it was because it seemed like he was on Johnson's side and then he wasn't. Yeah, I'm generally fine with it, but there could have been one moment there. Sure. Maybe a scene where he's actually talking to Lane Smith. Yeah, I feel like there was probably a deleted scene that yeah, you don't would explain everything. It. Which makes know. sense because this movie's almost at the two-hour point, so I could see why they probably didn't want to go over. I mean, back then, comedies weren't going over two hours, so debatably, right. people could say this might be a little too long. Yeah. People were like, this is getting too real, man. We got Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you gotta dial it back. Between this and um, my cousin Vinny, Lane Smith is in both, and he he's supposed to be the uh, the like antagonist in both movies. But in in this, he's it obviously more malicious. Whereas in my cousin Vinny, you can see he's just doing his job. Right. He's not actively trying to get them put up for murder, but he's. He does think they did it because the other does think they did it so that they did. Yeah, and he actually congratulates them at the end. Right. It is a really solid uh trial in my cousin Vinny. Like when they figure out the tire tracks and everything else, like yeah, how they could have seen something different, like that witness that was seen through the train and everything else. It's just it's really solid. So yeah, yeah, but it goes to show like he's uh he's got a range because he can play a villain who's more uh ambivalent and you can also play one that's a little more one note and i think that works here yeah if he was more ambivalent than this it wouldn't have worked yeah perfect character name too dick dodge yeah though the character names in this are great yeah obviously thomas jefferson johnson um, um joe don baker's in it, olaf anderson yeah what a yeah. name uh elijah the- hawkins uh, yeah, I was looking at Celia Kirby. That's uh, the love interest that's uh, sort of trying to lobby him to do right things. Mm-hmm. Uh, She's oh. lobbying with love. Well, he wants it to be love. She does not care at first. Yeah, she's actually like love. she's actually like doing her job. Yeah, and... right. She's an interesting person. She didn't really get a chance outside of this. 
She ended up on a TV show, I, I think. Something. Uh, oh, yeah, she looks. She, she was in Leonard Part Six, which probably didn't help her career. Oh, Lord. Yeah. And then she ended she, up on she, Diagnosis Murder. That so, might have been because I'm like, why. she looked familiar to me. Remember was she, was she just like, six? no, it might have been murder. From, it might have been from Diagnosis Murder. Was she oh, like a regular or was it just like one episode? She's a huge part. Then that's probably, yeah, that's probably what it was. She's one of like my, the four people in his staff. Yeah, my my grand, Nick Van Dyke. My parents and grandparents used to be big into diagnosis murder when I was a kid, so that might yeah. be where I'd recognize her. Yeah, I've watched a handful of episodes. So. Yeah, none. You don't know this, I've Jimmy? No. Stay Perfect tuned for our, stay tuned for a Hidden Gems TV spinoff. Anyway, I think this is really. I'm glad that we picked this out of all of uh, Eddie's movies because I think this is definitely the one that. I mean, just looking at the box office, it tanked. Yeah. Made like 80 million worldwide on a 50 million dollar budget. Yeah. And um this like I said, this is one of the last ditch efforts for him to kind of keep an adult audience before he started to gear more towards kid-friendly stuff. Yeah, I wonder if he thought that because this didn't do well, maybe I should veer into family-friendly fare. I think that yeah. probably influenced it. <laughs> it didn't even make 80 million, it says 46. Really? Yeah. Oh, that might be here. Yeah. I'm looking at worldwide. Sorry. Mm. Yeah. Internationally, it made 39. Here, it made 47. So 80. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it didn't even make top three the first week it came out. I can see why it's a. I don't know. December is not a great uh, time slot for something like this. Well, it came out opposite stuff like A Few Good Men. A lot right. had still been out. That came out around Thanksgiving, which was only a week. This came out December fourth, so that was just out. And there's the a Christmas movie we're going to be talking about that probably swept it off the charts. I'm sure. The Bodyguard actually moved up above it and had been out for three weeks, which is unheard of now because you don't see movies yeah. going up the chart; they're going down. Yeah. So and the and you have two kids' films in Home Alone two and uh, Muppet Christmas Carol. So that's what I was going to bring up later here. Yeah, sorry, and, I, I went into all your other. No, you're films, fine. But, but even just looking at the reviews, it's got like a 13 percent on Rotten Tomatoes. Right, which doesn't make sense because it's not bad. Like compared to Pluto Nash, yeah. which has like what, eight? like an eight percent, something like that. I mean, Eddie would do way worse after this. Oh yeah. Um. I did want to mention the person you're blocking uh, is a recent Emmy winner, uh, Shirley Ralph. She's been on Abbott Elementary, so she's having a bit of a comeback, too. She was in huh. this, but then never really showed up in a lot of other things. So it's kind of cool. She's getting her time to shine, finally. She had actually been in the stage production of Dream Girls on Broadway and was nominated for Tony's. I don't remember if she won, but she's tried to parlay that into film as well, and this was about it. And so now she's finally getting her time. I just thought. No one down thinking about it. A way they could have tightened up the narrative. She should have been the love interest. Honestly. I agree. Yeah. She barely gets anything. Wait, his, his cousin? Yeah. Well, they could have yeah, just that was the thing. Oh, right. <laughs> yeah, they well, were cousins. His his cousin. cousin. You sick son of a bitch. Well, just right. He's not his cousin. He's <laughs> making not his cousin and it would have worked. Yeah. Well, they are in Florida. So, like, they, that Florida man. Good. Yeah, there he's his cousin. This also is uh to move on. 
the uh, screen debut of Chi McBride. Oh wow! Boston cool. Public, baby. Who's who's credited as just Chi in the credits? Yeah, that was. I it's guess he was trying ass. to go for yeah. trying to go for the the He's one name thing. Yeah, I did think to myself, "Oh, it's Chi McBride. He's going to be important." And Good. then they left him in Florida, so I was like, "Oh, he's coming back." You can't leave She McBride behind. And he came back in a big way. Yeah, it was good. I like I liked his stuff. The secret weapon. You did did you like the stinger at the end? Or did you feel like that was trying to do a sequel bait? I didn't mind it. It could have been. And they weren't really doing sequel bait, but I, I I maybe didn't like the fact that they broke the fourth wall, but <clears throat> I, I thought it was funny, but I uh Maybe it's maybe it's a blessing in disguise that movie didn't do well because you probably would have got a lackluster sequel. Yeah, that's true. I think it was I think it was a perfect end cap because obviously, like, oh. yeah, because he got he got up to where he was. He actually did some good in Washington. He's like, you know, I kind of like this, and then it could leave it up for you know a sequel, or it could just be like that's the next logical step is you know, higher office. So, I mean, the end of Spin City, Michael J. Fox is walking to in D.C. and he's like, I'm meeting with this guy, Senator Keaton, which is a reference to his earlier show, Family Ties. So they're doing stuff like that all the time. I think that well, that's not the end of like, Spin City. You could have, well, the real end. His uh, end. It's yeah. the good end. Uh, so it's, it sets up that you could see that he become something in DC. So it's the same idea. I, I think it's perfectly uh, innocent intentions. So. Right, exactly. And if you get a sequel, why not? If we get a sequel, why not? You sound like yeah. Could you imagine if they just did a sequel now? You know, I was thinking about that. I wonder <laughs> if somebody was like, which one of your legacy characters would you like to see sequelized as legacy characters? Yeah. <laughs> Nobody yeah. saw that movie. Yeah. I could actually, I could actually see that happening. Like Jeff Johnson comes back. They could do a TV to run for president now. Cards with him. The undistinguished gentleman. Yeah. He's falling on hard times. The indistinguishable gentleman. He's just. No, no. You find out he's been a career senator for forty years. Yeah. Fell off his ways. No. All right. Good. It'd be a good idea for like. Give me Eddie's people. We'll write this for him. Yeah. Well, anyway, you guys, uh, give the movie. I think I actually give this an A. This is one of my favorites that we uh, got to this year. Awesome. Of the hidden gems, this was the hidden gemmiest. Yeah, I'd probably give it an A minus. Um, a couple times where, like I said, they could have tightened up the narrative a little bit. But, yeah, uh, I think uh, it's it's actually a lot more shrewd and clever than you think it is going into it and obviously it's very still very relevant which just there's a show like you said everything's cyclical and things don't change so it's almost cautionary in that respect but um <clears throat> in terms of like showcasing eddie i think it's one of, <clears throat> one of the um one of the better movies to utilize his uh his fast talking chops so and when they do incorporate a little bit of drama into it it's not trickly so yeah i mean i'm a huge fan of this movie i'm like a a minus ish so you know kind of because like the 
I kind of agree with Corey with the whole like the story needs uh, tightening up on certain spots. Uh, I felt like the pacing was a bit off too at certain points, mm. but that could have just been me. It was very deliberately paced. Yeah. So maybe I just wasn't used to the pacing if it was like deliberately paced that way. Um, but um, other than that, like this, like overall, the story was great. Uh, it was mm-hmm. funny. Uh, I did enjoy how it got a little heisty at the end. So, yeah. A ish. A ish. A ish. A ish. It's, yeah, I'd give it. <laughs> I give it a solid A because the realism within the comedy was like this movie is timeless. Like even though it was early nineties, you know that it's the exact same thing, just worse now. Right. <laughs> and it's just mm-hmm. it's supposed to be a satire, but given everything that's happened in the past few years it's clearly more of a documentary than anything yeah. and it was just well done or maybe if mean, it's, it's a work. prophecy did you yeah. think right, jeff i'm telling you everybody watch this movie like it, it's just required viewing when you become a senator and it's just I, like, I think this is also it, into my but, a minus issues like it was a little too real right yeah but you know don't shoot the message. There, there were yeah. there were plot issues like you know there were pacing issues i guess but it was still like it was a fun movie like i actually enjoyed it a lot more than i thought i would so mm-hmm. cool so we're all pretty much in agreement for the most part yeah cool so yeah um for once well speaking of other movies that came out this month tristan kind of mentioned one of them uh I believe it's Tristan's favorite Christmas movie, as a matter of fact. Um, Muppet Christmas Carol came out. Oh, yeah. I actually think it did It did moderate business, right? It wasn't a huge hit. Yeah. It, it's it become, was a bigger hit on home video, if I recall. Yeah, because it went out pretty much immediately the next Christmas. It's weird. It's one of those movies where I'm like, you could almost cut out the Muppets in this movie. It would be just as good. Well, that just was Michael the Kane, of this. Just Michael Caine, the amazing and Scrooge. Yeah. Uh, he's probably the best uh, character that's been human in any of the Muppet movies. Like you have uh, Tim Curry in the Treasure Island adaptation. Yeah, Charles Grodin. All the, the characters. The caper. Right. Yeah, you have a slew of people well, in those other ones. Well, but, Michael Caine's said in interviews that he's just like he wasn't going to pretend that he was with the Muppets. Like he was acting as though he was with. You know the greatest oh. acting troupe of all oh, yeah. time because oh, the Muppets are. Cast. Let's be honest, but yeah, that's, yeah. that's, that's all star cast. The that's the joke of the Muppets. So you got to treat them as like a, they're real, yeah, right? Like real. But because of that, like if he had played it as though, if if he played it with any less intensity, it wouldn't have worked. No, nope. like you can't play with irony. No. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's but why I like it so much because there's yeah. so much heart in Michael Caine. That yeah. it's easily my favorite it's... role of his, and he uh, uh-huh. had a whole right. of perfect roles. I'm not gonna lie, right now, every time you say Michael Kane, I keep okay. on thinking because Michael, Michael Kane, because Michael Corey does it so well. I said, Michael Kane, hey, you gotta do the broken voice yeah. when he gets made, okay, Mr. Mr. Wayne. Why do we fall? Thank you. I wanted that. You're supposed to Mr. blow the bloody doll. Mr. Way, Michael Kane. 
Brilliant, brilliant movie. <laughs> no, although that was why for, from Muppet Christmas Carol. You know, seeing that for years though, I I thought that because that was one of the first Muppet movies I saw as well when I was a yep. kid. So I never, I I didn't know that there was just supposed to be one Marley that visits him. Yep. <laughs> so all this time I was just like. <laughs> Wait, I thought there were two of them. Whenever you I saw know, later iterations of Christmas Carol. You get the other Joker as part of that, right? That he's oh, Robert, yeah. Robert yeah, Marley. Yeah, Bob, Bob Marley. Marley. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Perfect. Perfect. Um, just... That's my favorite scene. They're my favorite characters. It's a perfect song. Do you uh, think, um, is this your favorite Muppet movie where they're kind of the wraparound? Yeah. You know what I mean? I mean, yeah, there's everything about this is my favorite adaptation of A Christmas Carol, too. I think it's all seated in nostalgia because I saw it in theaters on Christmas that year. Oh, wow. Um, so this started my run of my parents and I would go to the theater on Christmas. And back then, not a lot of people did. It's often like the thing that Jewish people do because they'll either get Chinese food or or go to the movies. It was like, we don't have anything else to do that day and everything else is closed. So uh except for chinese restaurants and movie theaters and so we would go because we loved movies and i think they took me because it was a kids movie and then we kept seeing things every year uh so it started a tradition for me unintentionally but then we'd also watch that every year on the 23rd of december and so eventually i started having a christmas party on the 23rd i meant to have all our friends come over and watch muppet christmas carol with me and my parents but we ended up just like hanging out and eating food and, you know, in our 20s, not just food, but, um, yeah. you know, that was the tradition that led to, you know, my favorite part of Christmas, the hanging out with all my friends on the 23rd. So the Christmas just, party. Yeah. So I've been doing that for almost 20 years already, right? Wow. 15. No, yeah, it'll be 18 this year. Yeah, because so. we were still in high school at the time. It was my uh, in-between freshman and sophomore year. So I think it would have been during my sophomore year Christmas. Yeah. was the first time I ever did that party. But for the first 12 years, it was watching Muppet Christmas Carol. So. Nice. Uh, so I've probably watched that 30 times now. You think it's the movie? Or it'll be the 30th time this year or whatever. Is it the movie you've seen the most? uh jurassic park for sure oh, okay yeah not lost world right uh that probably like a dozen times right. maybe a little more but I'll accept i mean that. I, I watch uh we did our favorite christmas movie back in december 1990 uh but i oh. think i watch muppet christmas carol white christmas and it's a wonderful life every year so i've seen all three of those probably 30 times. matter of fact it just happened to be on we were in new, in new orleans last december yeah, you never saw it. I had never seen it before. Somehow. I don't know why. What, Muppet yeah. Christmas Carol? It's a, no, wonderful, it's a wonderful life. life. Oh, it's a wonderful life. Yeah. I, I only saw that for the first time last year. Really? Yeah, last year, I think. Oh, two of you. Two of us. Weird. I had somehow escaped and dodged that for years. Dodged? Yeah, exactly. Also a perfect film. Right. It's not. What do you want? You're not alone. It's a wonderful life. Where's the money, crazy old man? I saw a radio play version of that this year. I tried oh, yeah? to kill myself. That was, was cool. What else came out in December '92? <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, Train tracks. Well, since you already brought, since you already brought it up, a few good men came out. 
probably, um, I think it was the starting uh, gate for uh, Aaron Sorkin's writing career in film, right? Because he was a playwright before. This is based on a play. Mm-hmm. And um, debatably, it's his best script or best adaptation, at least. I mean, I know, I know you're a big fan of the West Wing, everything. Sure. Um, but uh, in terms of just like condensed, brilliant dialogue and how the narrative just flows and everything, the back and forth between everybody, not only is it perfectly cast, the script is almost perfect, except for one flaw, which is I think they set up the ending in a previous scene so then you just watch it play out and you're like, well, that's kind of telegraphed a little bit too early. Wait, which which one are you saying? When um I mean everybody's seen the movie, so have you guys? You guys have seen a few guys. I saw right? the I saw the uh, stage show. Okay, so oh, cool. he knows it's it's almost verbatim. I think I might have seen it in college, like okay, uh, for film history. So there, the the scene before uh Nicholson takes a stand, he tells uh, Kevin Pollack and Demi Moore exactly what he's going to do and exactly how Nicholson's going to react and he does exactly that. So I kind of wish I don't they think kinda... it makes it any less powerful though. No, it doesn't make it any less powerful. They could have cut that. <laughs> well, they could have thought, you know, it could have been a bluff on Yeah, I think Yeah, I think they were setting it up to be a bluff. I kind of that's the only thing. I just wish they had thrown a curveball where he didn't go for the bait. Mm. And they caught him some other way. Yeah. But, um, say, since you brought up Kevin Bacon in that movie, he's kind of like Lane Smith in uh, My Cousin Vinny because he's, again, he's not demonized yeah. for being a rescuing attorney. He's doing his job. Yeah. He's just doing his job. Right. That's what Jack's he's doing. doing my job. It's got that iconic speech. I mean, that last speech by Nicholson has been parodied and immortalized over the decades. Yeah. And uh, I'm sure he got, he got nominated for that, right? Oh, yeah. I'm pretty sure. I don't know. It's fantastic in the movie. I would assume so. Everybody says Rob Reiner had a great run of like five or six classics at the beginning of his directing career and then just kind of ended. This is among the six. So. Toys came out this month. If anybody remembers that. Put up uh, in one of our but, uh, underrated gems. No. Wait, was that which the one, was that one? That wasn't the one with. Rob Williams. Right, Rob Williams, but not the one with. I keep getting that one confused with the toy, which is the no, one Richard, the Richard Pryor, Jack and Gleason. Oh, <laughs> toys! I've seen racist movie. Right. I've seen that once. <laughs> I've seen neither. Toys, toys is. Uh, I've never seen very, toys. It's very Sonnenfeld, basically trying to be Tim Burton because uh, Robin Williams plays like an eccentric uh, toy maker who's kind of like a Willy Wonka character. So he gets to go into his flights of improv, which are aggravating, and then. Um, He's uh, he's fighting for the company against his uncle, who's uh, Michael Gambone, who wants to make military toys. It it quickly becomes tiresome. Well, like, you just don't so, like Robin. The, no, I love Robin, but when he's not reined in, and he just <laughs> gets to do just do ad libs the whole time, it becomes annoying. Is it's it like small character? Is it like small soldiers, but with Robin Williams. I'd like small soldiers better. Um, well, the, set, the set design <clears throat> is probably the best part of it like I said he's trying to do like a well, not a uh, Tim Burton kind of a set design 
so there's a there's a part where like he's in a a toy house there's a miniature toy house in there it's almost like a, a russian nesting doll but um aside from the set design the movie's atrocious it's hard to even sit through i think it's like almost two hours Ooh, but yeah no it feels longer um forever it's young just... came out which is it's a weird it's a weird uh directing effort from steve minor who's usually known for doing horror movies it's uh mel gibson it's almost like futurama mel gibson is cryogenically frozen and then thawed years later but it's a drama how far into the future uh a couple decades 2015 <laughs> yeah right <laughs> Yeah, he becomes a white supremacist in both meets, meets um, the Marlboro becomes. <laughs> He's like, wait a second, this is the perfect. I came back at the perfect time. My white supremacy ideals oh. still hold relevance. Oh boy. Um, God, we made America great again. I just, perfect time to sleep. America, America was great when I was a kid. Now it's not. Um, it's a. It's speaking of very sentimental. This movie's like very saccharine. Um, kind of forgettable movie. I don't think has has anybody seen it other than me. Uh, no. No, I don't think so. No, I have not. Okay, I've seen a scene or two in yeah. passing. Like I said, it's a weird marriage of material with the director because Steve Miner did like he did Friday the Thirteenth two and three. He did uh, Halloween H two O. He did Lake Placid, and this is just a weird movie in his filmography. You know? Mm-hmm. It's like when Wes Craven did Music of the Heart. Yeah. Where did that come from? <laughs> yeah. Um, so speaking of Jack Nicholson, Hoffa came out this month. Hoffa. Which was written by another great uh, playwright turned screenwriter, David Mamet, who we discussed with Glengarry Glenn Ross uh, not too long ago. Last month. This is it. Okay. Uh, Tristan and I were talking on the phone about how... Uh, Sometimes when you write things elliptically, where you don't spell things out, which is what Mammoth tends to do, he doesn't like to pander to the audience. So a biopic is not the place for that. He he does he does it with a biopic where he, they halfway through they introduce Hoffa's wife, and I'm like, I didn't even know he's married. <laughs> like they jump around so much and they want the audience to do all this legwork for it, where you just lose patience with the movie. Yeah, not that I want every biopic to be like cradled to the grave, but you need to have a little bit of backstory for some of this stuff, especially something as complicated as the Teamster Union and all the battles with that. And uh, I think Jack Nicholson's kind of chewing the scenery with this. It's not one of his better performances. Mm. He's half I assume. Yeah, weirdly enough, it's uh, directed by Dane DeVito, who is co-starring in the movie. Mm, interesting. Who does he play? He plays a fictionalized character who's supposed to be like his second hand man. Gotcha. He, he he's a teamster driver who he recruits. Gotcha. Um, so he's sort of like what De Niro did in The Irishman, but right. less real. Um, I was gonna say I love Al Pacino's performance in The Irishman as Hoffa. So yeah, I'm wondering how they compare because I've never seen this one. But yeah. Um especially so since he just mentioned the Irishman. Well, well, speaking of Al Pacino, Son of a Woman came out this month. That's why I said that. The Oscar winner. Now, I I think I'm not the only one who thinks Al Pacino's great performance, not his best performance, though. 
this is I feel like they gave this as one of those legacy awards. Yeah. He's been so great for so long that let's just give him an award now. This is one of his more um, demonstrative performances, very showy. Didn't they nominate him for uh, supporting actor for uh, Dick Tracy two years earlier? They were trying to get him something. Right, yeah. So I think it's a really good movie, except for that. Speaking of trial scenes, like there's a tribunal scene at the end that just stops the movie short so he can grandstand. Yeah. And um, and just ruins Philip Seymour Hoffman. <laughs> yeah, which is weird because everything up until that I really like. Like I like I like the whole relationship with him and uh, actually Bradley Whitford happens to be in the movie. Um, but the and Chris O'Donnell is not an actor who's very acclaimed, probably because of every all the disdain he gets from the the Robin role. But he's actually really good here. Um, bouncing off of Jack or not Jack News, Al Pacino. Uh, uh, to answer your earlier question, by the way, Jack was nominated for a few good men up against Al Pacino for Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross. There you go. So, so he had two nominations this year. They were trying to get him something. Right. And I I would argue that his performance in Glenn Gary is better. But you also mentioned I would we talk about it. Jack Lemon should have gotten the Oscar either for yeah. supporting or best. Yeah, we'll talk um, about that next week for the best of. But Jack Lemon's amazing. Yeah, all these all these nominations are good, but it's tough to figure out, especially when you are trying to give out like a legacy award. I think I think Sin of a Woman's good, uh, but if you compare it to his other films, yeah. And also, I think this comes after a period he didn't work much in the eighties. Yeah, he took off for a while and then came back for Sea of Love, because um, he was doing a lot of bombs. Yeah. Um, so actually, here's another speaking of Cradle of the Grave uh, biopics, Chaplin came out, which I finally got to see. Also nominated for an Oscar. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, well, for Robert Downey. Mm-hmm. I could see that, and he, he's a great mimic of Chaplin. I personally have never liked Chaplin, I can't watch his movies, I don't think they're funny, mm-hmm. but um. Actually, the I could see the criticisms of the movie. Yeah, it's uh, it does like a wraparound story with um, Anthony Hopkins interviewing Chaplin later in his life about literally <laughs> this. This movie almost goes into too much detail. What did you do on Tuesday, December sixth? He's like, you're you're glossing over certain things. I'm like, I don't. It's funny. It it chooses which information to give us and which information not to give us and the stuff that it doesn't give us i'm just like i would rather you expand it on this than the other stuff you elaborated on like there's a there's a scene where he's toward it's towards the beginning where he's doing a state play and he upstages his mother and then it cuts to years later where his mother has a mental illness i'm like what happened there's no bridge you know what i mean i would like to have seen that I saw it like a decade ago, so I don't really remember some of that. I remember liking it, but maybe it's because I always liked biopics and I was trying to figure out the best way to present them. You know what and it I was is? Still early in my watching of many biopics. I think this kind of solidifies how I feel about Richard Attenborough as a director. He's kind of lumbering. He doesn't, he's not good with flow because he did the same thing with The Bridge Too Far. Um, uh oh, this is fighting words. He went too Jim- far with the bridge too far. I saw Jimmy's face. He loves no, that. No, movie. he's not. He's not wrong. It's uh, it's a bit. 
The movie's just kind of it's like a lot to unpack in a uh, in a movie. Like if a bridge too far was a miniseries, like a band of brothers, you'd you'd get to linger on all that uh, all all those characters and the story and the history. Right. Like, they introduced it, Robert Redford in the, the last yeah twenty minutes, and I'm just like. I would have loved to have seen the character. I mean, that's also a big problem with a lot of war movies in that era. Anyways, they try to unpack a lot in like a couple hours. Yeah, right. that's why they were three hours. They're trying to do an epic. Right. And so if you do anything today that's even like going to be more than three hours, that's why these movies are getting so long. Because then a lot of producers are just saying, might as well make it a miniseries. Like George and Tammy, did we need eight episodes on Tammy Wynette? Right. Like, I could have seen one movie about that. But... They want to have all this richness developed. <laughs> it's funny. Back in the 90s, they used to do the exact opposite. Right. They used to take movies that were Gettysburg, for example, was going to be a miniseries. They, right. They cut Tonight. it down a bit, put it theatrical. Right. That's why Gods and Generals is three and a half hours, because they thought the they started to get back to where we are now. Right. But made the mistake of putting it in theaters. Yep. Um, one last movie I want to talk about. I haven't seen it. Is uh, George Miller did a um, a medical drama called Lorenzo's Oil, which is um, it's Nick Nolte and Susan Sarandon's uh, son is diagnosed with uh, illness. I forget exactly what it is, but um, they're looking for like a miracle cure. I actually heard it's a really good movie, but it's, I've heard again, it's, it's like, incredible. Yeah, I heard it's a great movie. I just um, <clears throat> it's interesting to me because it's again it's an outlier in George Miller's career because he's mostly known for like Babe and the Mad Max movies. Right. And this isn't Which, a high octane movie or anything like that. It could have been our movie we highlighted this month. Like we had a slew of things that we could have talked about. And Lorenzo's Oil was probably the second choice after this. Who knows? Uh, the two poster boys probably could have been a subject of this stuff. Well, that's what I was going to lead into. Both of these, Jeff, were uh, when when Corey and I were discussing this. The first one I'm going to show was definitely his second choice, yeah. but you'll see why by the end of it. And the other one was also sort of in the running. So, <laughs> <laughs> so okay, Blue Man Group the movie. <laughs> obviously, I blurred out the top is floating face syndrome. Yeah, but. You're not going to get the plot from this. Someone poster. wearing a Kangol hat. Okay. Oh, they are. Good job. So, um, of course. I would know. So that. I'm not going to expect you to right. a lot of this, but what would you call a movie that clearly is, it has, what, what is there at the bottom of the poster? Okay. It's black screen, four floating heads separated by red barbed wire, it looks like. Uh, and at the bottom of the screen, there's an old video camera, some weapons, a cross, and a holy grail, a crowbar. It looks like if uh, if Wes Craven had directed Indiana Jones. <laughs> like, it's just a sort of heist movie where they try to, like, I don't know, a, a bunch of edgy teens in the 90s try to steal stuff from the British Museum. It's that, funny, now that or you something. said that, the color palette of this looks exactly like the people under the stairs poster. That's right. funny. Or like movie. Scream, but yeah. it's... Yeah. yeah, this could be a horror the way I smudged everything. Right. Um. But yeah, it's... Or maybe now, it's a... 
has he given close enough of a plot description? Do you want to give him a little bit? Because what I actually want to see for you to try and garner some points is to get the, guess the catchphrase of the movie. So if you don't mind giving him a little plot, Corey. <laughs> a little bit of the plot? Without saying the name, obviously. Sure. Um, it's kind of like uh, Treasure of the Sierra Madre if it happened in like uh, an urban setting. Okay, so that means kind of nothing like to heist. me. You, what, you so want to know more? Urban heist. Uh, so, should I give him more? Yeah, it's like an urban heist, though. Okay, urban right? urban heist. Uh, That's enough, I guess. Okay. Hang on. Same neighborhood. Different relics. I don't know. Uh, Here goes on. the neighborhood. Right, exactly. <laughs> Old trash, new treasure. Okay. Or new treasure. Yeah, I don't know. You want to give him a little I'm more plot? To... Sure. Um, two firefighters <laughs> save uh, somebody from a burning building, and they find a map to a treasure in this uh, abandoned uh, building. And then um, little do they know that uh, it's also a gang hangout. Is this just a sequel to There Goes the Neighborhood? <laughs> ah, I yeah, not too far. <laughs> Um, definitely a better version of it so yeah try, try one more catchphrase and then i'll show you what it actually is okay <clears throat> uh they found wait hang on hang on matt uh i don't know uh you're on, Basement oh. tra- I, you I'm, were on I'm the out. line a little bit like they were they they showed up to the wrong place or something yeah yeah this is right. on his catchphrase <laughs> just, just four <laughs> Just four good people in a bad situation. Sort of. They all came to the wrong place at the wrong time. Okay. You were on the right track. Yes. All right. So the catchphrase is they all came to the wrong place. The title is very generic. Uh, I will give you a try at the title because it's one word, it's not really. It's going to be too tough to figure out. Just well, the barbed wire might be a bit. <laughs> the sliders. Yeah. yeah they're going. Um, okay. So it's definitely a heist movie, some sort of historical thing. I feel like they're trying to go for regular, like, valuable shit, like TVs and stuff, but then they accidentally find the Holy Grail. No. That's a different track. I, don't I, feel, know like it's a com- I feel like it's a comedy. Hmm. No, no, not a comedy. Okay, I guess the red, bloody-looking barbed wire is probably not. I was gonna say that material. might be kind of a clue to the title a bit. Like, if you're trying wrong to get place, barbed wire, wire, what are you into? Something? What are you trying to do? Break in? Heist? I knew this would so be tough because uh, it's so generic. Break, breaking? Is it just called breaking and entering? Now that is a movie for most. That is a movie. I know. Well, um, I'll just give it to you because this was always going to be tough. The real thing I want to well, do hang is on. next. Hang on. Uh, what, what, the people? Yeah, the, the four actors. Because okay. so it's called Trespass, which Trespass. is so tough. Like anything like this. It's like when we yeah. did Oscar, There's three other movies called made. Trespass later on. <clears throat> right. So <clears throat> what I want to say is two former actors we focused on are in this. Mm. Uh, one mm. from this year and one from last year. And I'm going to give you a guess. One of them you might not know in general. Um, might as well just give you him. 
So to give you the kind of idea of what kind of movie it is, I don't know if you know William Sadler at all. We talked about him last year. I, I know we talked about him, but the guy I just... on the left, the first person, is the next one that's yeah. going to show up. Uh, uh, I want to say that's. I want to say that's Ethan Hawke. It's not Ethan Hawke. No, we haven't talked yeah. about not Ethan Hawke. No. I don't. I don't remember. <laughs> My short-term memory is shot after these things. Um, yeah. Let's say Val Kilmer. No, not Val Kilmer. Who's the other one? Who's the one that I keep mistaking for Val Kilmer? He played Santa Claus. Kurt Russell. Mm, uh, no, that wouldn't have been a bad choice. That hair is kind of like Kurt yeah. Russell's around that time. So that's not a bad guess. Okay. Um, but yeah, you keep making like all these false moves. So I don't know if you really are going to get it. Mm. Nope, it's not going to. No. Wait, oh, wait, 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 wait. Uh, oh, God. Uh, I, uh, I don't even remember. Uh, <laughs> I don't uh, remember that movie. <laughs> what a false move wink wink nudge nudge i know i don't i, I just I handed it to you <laughs> just i know you handed it to me and i dropped it ah, Bill paxton. Paxton. Oh. yep paxton so this next person was from last year so that's even further back in your memory you're never gonna get him but uh is it a dude anyone is yeah it they're, all, they're all guys okay is the next one the one between Sadler and Paxton? No, all the way to the right. Oh, okay. You want to give me um, the Kangle hat? You want to give him a hint? Uh, Kangle hat, Danny DeVito, or not Danny DeVito, Joe Pesci. No. No. I don't know what he does wear a Kangle hat in real life, though. You're right. Uh, yeah. Trying to guess from the hair, but anything. Well, it's not hair. It's a like hat. A, no, no, not that. I'm talking about the other guy. Wait, oh. so is, is Kangle hat next? Kangle has next, and he's okay. he's the one we've covered. Okay, I'm not gonna. Can I tell yeah. him? Can I tell him the guy's other profession? Sure, he's a rap star. Ice Cube. Ding ding ding! Hey, look at that! Hey, you got one. All and right. So, who would you put in a film with these three guys? <laughs> the trespass. Yeah. And this is why we wanted to okay. cover this film possibly. Schwarzenegger? Mm. No. Not with a hair like that. No. Uh, am I on the right track, though? Like, action star? No. Okay, so, you know what? These three are all bra- are all brawn, so we need a brain to the operation here. But it's too early for, like, Stephen Wright. <laughs> um, I, I don't know. All right. It just looks like Ghostface to me. Ice T and Ice Cube. Yep. Oh, what? The same what? movie. How right. great would that have been? I did. I didn't think that happened. Right. Yeah. And that's why this might have been a perfect hidden gem. You can't have Ice T without putting Ice Cube in it. So that would have been fun to talk about, but yeah, we went it's with the same gentleman because we weren't sure how often we would get to <clears throat> a chance to talk about Eddie throughout the nineties, and we realized that was the more interesting most hidden gem of his movies i'm sorry does that say it was written by i was just about to bring that up bob gale and robert zemeckis yeah yes it did this was a spec script that they had before back to the future that once they got big they produced later on wow yep yep wow a lot of fun cool yeah real random group of people on movies it's a real fucking rogues gallery there (laughs) so i still want to see it you like yeah no definitely Oh, it's very, it's really good. Cool. 
so this next one is also uh, someone we had in the past. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Jesus. <Ooh>. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. So it's a guy in some sort of fancy business suit holding a cloud over his hand with a lightning bolt striking whatever life is being given in his head. And in the background, it looks like Mount Fuji or Mount some some sort of mountain or volcano. Kilimanjaro with, with search, searchlights <laughs> in front of what's, it. What's what's under the mountain? Under the mountain is like a city with searchlights. Or no? Yeah, oh, it's a tent. There it's we a circus go. Tent. There you okay. Go. Look closer. Okay. Freak show. I don't know. Well, he doesn't normally look like this. I I made his face weird. No, I'm just, yeah. I'm throwing out a title. You made it's his not, face yeah. terrifying. This was uh -huh. Why do you keep on doing this? Because it's so um, much fun to make. Like it's have, like you're a psychopath. I'm gonna have nightmares because you did like one of you the basically. Morning. Yeah, because yeah, the way that Tristan blurred the face, it looks like if Deadpool's face was mask was made of skin. Like, oh my god! Yeah, like it's awful. Yes, it's great. But it works. Uh, like, it it obscures like, His mask was made of skin and it was ginger skin too. Is this the Twilight Zone? No, no. Sounds Twilight. Was just zone, like, yeah, I just took the irises out. This is how. Uh, Do you know who it is, Jimmy? No, nah, I can't tell. Okay. Hang on, I'm trying to. Also, someone we covered last year in '91. Yeah. Like focused on, yeah. Which is why Trying we didn't choose it. it because we've already covered a film of his. So, yeah, this film isn't as good, but it's good. I'm really bad with guessing the actors' faces now, especially when they look like this. <laughs> yeah, um, this hair isn't uh, exactly like it always is. Yeah, <laughs> I think it's no, dyed. I want to say it's Dana Carvey. <laughs> oh man, we covered Dana Carvey. I don't know. Did we talk about? We might have talked about Wayne. As a focus, like oh yeah, we didn't focus. Topics. It wasn't a movie. Yeah, it's too. Wouldn't be Anthony Michael Hall. That's a good guess based on the face shape. Yeah. Yeah. Really? Uh, uh, you want one more try, and then I'll give it to you. Who it is? Well, hang on. What what's going to come up first? The title, the, the catchphrase, or the the face? Okay. You face. To, you want me to give him a hint? I'm, I'm gonna. Fine, give me a hint. Give me a hint. I'm trying to think. He he does magic. He's a comedian. Is it David does, Copperfield. He's a he's a comedian that also does magic. Does he? I don't know. Does like the actor or the character in the movie? No, the actor. Okay. Amazing Jonathan. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> no, wait. No, hang on. It was part of his acting. I don't. I I. I don't yeah. know. I'm like yeah, I'm I feel really like you let him off path. I'm really right? tanking yeah, it today. I didn't know he ever did magic. I'm really he tanking it today. <clears throat> yeah, all right. Okay. Oh, oh. Steve Martin. Yeah. yeah. Of course. All that magic tricks he, he does. Yes. Yeah, fuck you. You didn't know that? I've never seen him do magic. I've heard of you could have just, just said you could have just said he plays the banjo. That you could have just said musician. Yeah, banjo would have yeah. gotten it. But yeah, Steve Martin. Okay, Steve Martin with a cloud with a lightning bolt in his hand. So yeah, now to give life. is it called the Flea Circus? <laughs> that's a good, that's a good yeah. 
Well, just why, like, don't, why don't you do the traditional uh, poster boy and try to guess what this is about and what the okay. title would be? Because the title is actually not just like trespass. Traditional. So it's it's about it's about a guy who figures out that he has some sort of omnipotent godlike powers and uses them to create yeah. freaks in a traveling roadshow in a in a just a, a circus of his own design. This is Steve. And this is how he, mighty. This is. Is it right. actually no. the plot? Okay, I no. I don't know the plot. So oh, you don't? Okay. Steve Martin creates life and takes it on the road to make money. That's my guess. Is it more similar to Distinguished Gentlemen than you would think? You know what I mean? Like grounded? No. Uh, Is it a political? No, I'm trying to hint at something else. Is he a con man? That's what I'm trying to hint. He at. captures lightning in a bottle. Yeah, yeah. Yes, you're right. Lightning in a bottle. He's a con man, though. He's a con man. Does he play like a Tesla knockoff? Oh, I thought he's gonna. I thought he's gonna get yeah. it. Yeah. Think about what's behind him. As I say, the tent's a big hint. Yeah, yeah. the tent. It's it's. it's a he got master. the idea that he's going on the road. He's <laughs> a ringmaster. He's in a circus <laughs> store, freak show. Um, was pop he, up. Is he trying to be a rain man and he's tricking Native rain Americans because he's a racist white man? Oh my god, is that what's going on? Storm, storm of the century, storm of the century. Why don't I give you the uh, whole world in his hands? The tagline, sure. Are you ready for a miracle? Yeah. Miracle man. Is it just Rain Man no. and like? Wait, <laughs> wait. See, like, so, so is, is he like a, a con man evangelist pastor type? You got it. Uh, con mangelist, <laughs> if you will. What do uh, what do those people ask you to do? Healer, the healer, healing. It's a it's a it's a it's a, it's a phrase. You take a cleanse, vow. If you're not sure about something, they want you to pray, but no, with an hard. E. It's hard to guess if you don't know the phrase. Yeah, I, I no, genuinely don't word, know. It's a three word phrase. Is it like a phrase that would be used in church or outside of church, even? Kind of. Uh, bless me, Father. I don't. Know. Oh my God! <laughs> I need to think of that. Jeff's having a rough time. I'm just. I, I am. This is having an off day here. Leap, Leap of, of faith. faith. There you go. There you go. Okay. Good job. Got you. Stop Stop blacking out his. Oh, blotting out his eyes. It's so creepy. Uh, it's so much Leap fun though. Faith. I gotta say, that's a terrible poster for the movie, though. I love this. They're just selling what it is. This would have been better. Then, yeah, but it's <laughs> all right. I do want to see that though. So what, what was it about? Okay, so he's a um he's a evangelist who uh does church revivals and tents, and his tour bus gets stuck in a small town. Uh Deborah Winger is the person you know the person that uh 
goes onto the database and feeds the uh, televangelist into a mic, like a headset uh, information about the people when they're doing the faith healing. Oh, gotcha. is that a thing? Yeah. Because, uh, you know, obviously these people don't know these. They're not real clairvoyance. Okay. So they have somebody with an earpiece giving them all the information. They break down a small town and he starts to, and it's a town that's had a drought for a while. Okay. So he's trying to conjure back up the rain. So that's okay. my storm clouds there. Okay. Gotcha. That's cool. It's a comedy drama. Actually, Liam Neeson's in it. Oh. Early role. That's pretty cool. Steve Martin and Liam Neeson? My God. Yeah. What a bounty. What a... I don't know. I don't know. I thought that was a pun. I thought that was a pun. Kind of is, I guess. <laughs> that was a rough one, Jeff. I... I'll let you know. No, it's okay. I mean, it's it's good because that's like, I don't know. I, I, I hoping, didn't get it. I was hoping your 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 whole job is to stop me, yeah. and I'm just supposed to make dumb descriptions. Yeah, usually you make... come up with really good uh, alternate plots, though. Yeah, but these were tough posters. Trespass gave you nothing, so it really was just a test on if you know people in the '90s. That cross yeah. really, like... which I don't. I'm I I need no, to brush up on my. I didn't think about the actress. chalice throwing you off i didn't see the cross until this morning it made it, uh, it made it look way more religious than the movie yeah. yeah that's just jewelry probably right yeah oh no that is the thing they steal that's like buried in one of the floorboards but okay i mean people steal from churches coffers all the time so yeah yeah they've done it for centuries exactly uh so speaking of stealing eddie stole our hearts with this film mm. uh what has he stolen your heart over other than this? Or is this the film you find the most pleasurable? I don't know. I don't Pluto know. Pluto Nash. That's your, that's your pick. Get the fuck out. We're picking this. I'm allowing him to pick that. I'm okay. kidding. Yeah, this is our best chance to cover Eddie Murphy for picks in the month. So. I was going to say, he's not picking. Yeah. I have a couple of choices. So have, like, you're not allowed to pick that. Can I guess what Tristan's going to be? Uh, why don't you wait until the other guys have chosen? Because you always choose before I even choose. I can yeah. guess. I guess for the. For her. I know what it is. Of this. the things I've seen, <laughs> this one's probably the best performance I've seen. Okay. But as far as like, if we're talking favorite, as in nostalgia, Nutty Professor. <laughs> okay. Okay. I will. I will admit. I hate to be cliche. I don't know. I don't think anybody else is going to pick this, but withstanding his uh, comedy, his stand-up specials, I'd probably go 48 hours. It was, okay. his, it was his first movie. He makes a huge impression. Um, him and Nick Nolte have amazing chemistry. Yeah. I love that movie. It's one of the better examples of uh, the buddy action comedy. I need to see that. That's one of the few I haven't seen. So maybe I'll save that for last so I go out on a high. There you go. Because I don't want to go out with like meet Dave. <laughs> Imagine that. <laughs> yeah. I hear that uh what is it? Bad words. Two thousand words. words. Thousand words isn't horrible. And Mr. Church is okay. You're taking away his the his verbal ability. That's like oh. fuel, man. Yeah, that's the opposite of uh you don't want that. I'm dreading Norbit. 
That's like if that's like if Jim Carrey was in a movie where he had multiple sclerosis and in a wheelchair, and you're like, he's the he's the rubber man. That's yeah. what makes him funny. Yeah. You know that. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm gonna have to say like coming to America is probably like my favorite and the best. Like, oh, sweet. like, like go, going through going through the list. Like, it's like, I mean, I don't like most of his movies. Really? Uh, not not that I hate All them. Right. It's just like they're they're not ones that like they've that like really stood out to me growing up. So like uh, coming to America is probably the best, and like uh, all the rest, like I have I've either ne- never seen them, which apparently is a lot. I haven't seen a lot of his movies, and the ones like The Nutty Professor, I like it, but like it's like if we're gonna yeah. compare that to uh, Coming to America, I'm gonna go with Coming to America. Fair enough. Uh, I'm gonna have to educate you on Eddie. Yeah, but then there's like Mulan, An education, like if you will, the voice for uh, for uh, Mushu and uh, Mulan. So, yeah, I think yeah. that's voice acting. Voice. Is that yeah. your guess for my movie? I think so. That'd be fourth. It'd either be that or yeah. Shrek. Nope, that'd be fifth. Wow, Daddy Daycare? No, no, you don't like that shit. <clears throat> no one said Beverly Hills Cop, which is the standard. I think that's not that's what we I didn't know you even saw. Oh, I love that movie. I've seen it a bunch. Okay, seen it like five, six times. Yeah, great movie. Um, that is probably my second choice, though. I'm actually going to go with a movie that came out in 1999 that we could cover. Oh, both of uh, Nope. His other film, Life. Anyway, oh. Life stars uh, wow. Eddie and Martin Lawrence in a... Uh, he's wearing age makeup, so he's wearing makeup again. He does do it, yeah. Uh, but I think it works here. It, it... Have you guys seen it? I know Corey has, because we talked about it when we first met, actually. Which one? Life. He ends up in prison with Martin Lawrence. It starts out where he's a bootlegger, sort of. He's like in a nightclub and they get in trouble for a crime they didn't actually commit. I've seen parts of that. I I feel like I watched, yeah, I feel like I watched parts of that with you. Yeah? Yeah. I definitely saw it with my mom the first time. Maybe I showed you again because I've seen it twice, but um, he ends up in a jail in the South. It's in Mississippi. Um, so yeah, they meet in a club in 32. Yeah, and, and he's supposed to be like from, he's friends. from a northern city too. So right. Like, and they both sort of get caught up in this thing and they uh, get put in jail and it's kind of like Cool Hand Luke where they're definitely stuck for life and keep trying to get out and you meet all the other people in the penitentiary. <laughs> Bernie Mac is a standout there. It was the first thing I'd really seen him in. Um, the drama but, works too. It balances both comedy and drama and it does not go the way you think it will and Ned Beatty's great Ned Beatty's fantastic yeah um there's a lot of good aspects of it that aren't just Eddie but that's probably why it's my favorite of his films directed by the late Ted Demi yep so yeah we got coming to America 48 hours Nutty Professor in life that's, that's a good bunch of films so yeah, okay. cool yeah uh it's a little uh, tight for us to come up on, but just next week we're going to be recording it and try to push it out right at the last day of the year. Uh, we're going to have our best of 92, actually within the year. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, look forward to that. We'll all be live again. Uh, you'll get to see Jimmy in my new apartment. Yuck. Uh, and then uh, we'll be giving you, like we've done before, we, we compile our top five and it'll figure out points-wise who the uh, best of the year are. We'll talk about Oscars and who we thought should have gotten them, maybe ones that weren't even nominated. Uh, we'll, we'll go down memory lane to see which ones were our favorites from the films we focused on. So, then we'll look forward to 1993, which is when we all started really going to the theater. 
Yeah. If by then Jeff's five uh, and all of us are subsequently older. So. Not five. Yeah, you're eight by then. So. You're getting too old for movies. That's when he starts developing his cynicism and criticism. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. came from his... Who's the DP in this? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if I like over, that didactic music. <laughs> yeah. yeah. All right. Well, this was a fun year. Let's uh, see you soon. Wow.